0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Penny Lane Podcast with 10% Project. We talk about fencing and trading and the correlation between the two. This week's episode is brought to you by Pennies Going in Raw, Last Bottle Wines, and Help You Find Me. Enjoy!
1: The stock market is hotter than ever right now, and traders are taking advantage. But what does that mean for the people who still haven't started trading? The market can be a little intimidating at first, but you don't have to be alone in the learning experience. We at the Pennies Going In Raw podcast are here to help you. I'm Dan, and with my co-host Hugh Henney, we make the stock market a fun but informative experience for our listeners. We offer knowledge for all levels of traders, from beginners to those who do it full-time. On PGIR, we discuss up-to-date news about the stock market and interview other traders who all started out just like us and made it big. You'll hear from Hugh and other multi-millionaire traders, founders and CEOs of companies, Fintwit superstars, and even professional athletes. Have you ever thought about investing your hard-earned cash but don't know where to start? Do you have money just sitting in your savings account collecting dust? We were all there once too. Listen to Penny's Going In Raw on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hello, Tin. Welcome to the Penny Lane Podcast. We're so happy to have you.
1: Uh, Thank you guys for having me on.
2: I
3: really appreciate it.
0: Sure. Um, Well, we know each other a little bit from Twitter, but this is Justin, my co-host. Justin? I'm here. Justin's (laughs) here. Justin, are you at work or at home?
3: I am at La Oficina. I am at the office.
0: Man, you sure are a a hard worker. You know, kudos for that.
3: I'm not as as hard of a worker as most of the traders we have on this show. Otherwise, I'd be as successful as them.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) So, Tin, can you tell us what you do for a living?
3: Sure. So, uh,
2: full-time. I am a full-time trader. Um, I started full-time trading about two years ago. Um, I was working my background is in financial services. I worked as a fund accountant. I worked as a fund admin. Um, And then I was working at a a small hedge fund as a assistant portfolio manager for a very short period of time. And I realized that what I was doing for other people, making them tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars is exactly what and where my passion was. So I quit my job doing that and went full-time trading. Um, But then... Uh, I grew up playing sports and one of the sports that I was really good at and had a lot of success with was fencing. So I did that all throughout high school, a little bit in college. And then, um, for the last seven years, I've actually been a fencing coach for a local high school.
0: That is fascinating. Wow. To me. <laughs> fascinating. I got
2: lucky with it. Um, my older brother was in it and I needed a sport to do. In the winter, so I followed in his footsteps and fifteen years later I'm still involved with the sport.
3: So that was we just had this summer Olympics, uh, which is Mm -hmm. weird because we're just about to have the winter Olympics. But one of my favorite sports to watch is like the different types of fencing competitions. I think Uh they're so exciting and they're so quick and there's lights, there's a lot of action (laughs) and and you can't see anyone's faces. Oh, it's so much fun. I love it. That's an amazing sport. I know. The only problem
2: with the way they broadcast it is that you can't see anyone fence unless you're staying up until 2 3 a.m. in the morning. It's true. But
3: Literally no, it's,
2: it, it's, it's definitely <laughs> – it, high school fencing is nowhere near that, but it's still just as fun. And aside from trading, it's definitely one of my passions. That's so interesting.
3: Blaine, did you go to a high school that had fencing offered? No. I, I no
0: fencing.
3: Yeah we just had the basics
0: so how many months a year are you coaching fencing
3: so uh, full time like uh,
2: this, the winter season is about 13 weeks long so i'm i'm i work for the high school about 13 weeks a year and then right before the pandemic started i actually opened up a nonprofit club for kids in the area Um, But with the pandemic and everything and the way the school and their administration works, we got shut down because they didn't want the liability on their hands and it wasn't worth the headache for them. So I was doing it year round um, about two nights a week, but now it's just for the winter season.
0: Is fencing a process oriented sport?
2: So that's why, honestly, I believe, and I've tried to talk to some of my people in my Discord. Um, I n- No one can really relate to it because fencing is such an obscure sport that you either know it from like James Bond or from The Parent Trap. And that's what, <laughs> yep. like when I first met my fiance, she's like, oh, fencing, you coach fencing like in The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan?" I'm like, yes, just like that. Um, but I try to relate trading to fencing because it is very much a process-oriented sport most of the kids in high school, they don't get good at fencing. And if they start as a freshman, they're not competitive. They're not successful until about their third year doing it. And just with my experience trading and fencing, it's it's always in that like 18 month to 24 month range before it actually clicks to know what you're doing. Because like you can watch you can watch it on TV and be like, oh, that they're moving so quick, but then points are scored and you have no idea why that person got the point and so you have no idea how that that end result worked but once you really understand the rules and the mechanics of it it becomes a science and you know exactly what you need to do when you need to do it so i really do try to relate it to fencing uh and to trading
0: it doesn't seem like a hard connection to make like it i don't know anything about fencing so this is just from my you know, imagination of what fencing is like, but it does seem like you spend a significant amount of time learning all of these tiny little pieces and then having to put that together into a larger thing that you then do in a flow state all relates to trading, in my opinion.
2: A hundred percent. And, uh, my personal experience with it, I was a junior Olympic fencer. I competed around the country, But even in my high school season, I was having tons and tons of success outside, but there are just those times that you fall into a rut and I couldn't fence to my ability because my mindset wasn't there. I got in my own way. And I know a lot of people when they start trading and even when they find a rhythm, there's that little hiccup that they run into. And for whatever reason, they're just in that slump and they can't get out of it. So like fencing and trading are very much Mindset driven that if you're like, if you go into a trade or you go into a fencing meet or about without the self confidence to trade or to execute the, the moves you need to on the strip, like you, you're not going to have the success. So it really is, it, it all comes back down to the mindset of it.
0: God, Justin, you know how much I love an analogy, and this is just really scratching that itch for me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But I also feel like there's calculus that goes into fencing so it almost kind of feeds into what we've already discovered that everyone who is a successful trader is an engineer and i feel like fencing <laughs> and engineering like there's a pretty easy parallel there like there's got to be calculus that goes into what you're doing you know so i i don't know maybe i'm taking a big leap there but i think i'm right
2: <laughs> I, I i would 100% agree with that my my background is in economics so the way i equate trading and f- fencing together and how to get the results. It's all game theory to me. It's if you're doing this, what is the expected outcome and how can I achieve that outcome? So if I know if in a fencing meet that I coach the girls team. So if one of my, the girls that my, the opponents, if they're only doing this one move and they're, it's like trading. Like if you see only one pattern repeated over and over and over and over again, don't go against the pattern. Don't make it more complicated than it has to be. So if you see that this stock is breaking out, breaking out, breaking out, maybe you want to go long a little bit. Or if I tell the girls on the team all the time that she's only doing this one move, she's only going to straight attack you every single time, be a little more defensive so you can counter and get, get ahead of it instead of feeding into what they expect you to do.
0: I love it. Now, do you have any like mindset tricks that you learned while fencing that you can apply to trading if you're in a kind of a bad place or having a bad day? I,
2: I actually, I haven't like competitively fenced in years just because I haven't had the outlet to. Uh, but when it comes to trading, really for me, I give myself two strikes a day to like end my day because if I'm, if I make one mistake trading, then I know like even consciously when I'm trying not to overtrade or to like revenge trade, I know that subconsciously I'm doing it no matter what. So I give myself that second strike that if that second trade I take for the day is a failure, I'm done no matter what. Even if I see a perfect setup, I remove myself because that's when the mistakes that aren't easy to overcome are going to be made. It's going to be you're trying to make all your money back so you take an oversized position or... You hold on a little bit longer because you're trying to get back green. So and I preach it to the the people in my discord and on Twitter that on that third strike, that second strike, you, there's no good that can come out of it. So I, same thing with the girls on the fencing team and the way I coach, it's you could, you have two opportunities to execute a move. If that move isn't working, go to something else, go do something else. So for me, the two strikes in trading, it's, I'm, I made two mistakes for whatever reason. I'm done. I'm going to go for a walk with my dog or I'm going to go get a coffee somewhere. I'm done and I take myself out of it so I don't lose even more money. At this point,
3: I can't even tell if we're talking about trading or fencing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. People people don't know the sport very well. It's such an obscure thing, but there really is such an analogous relationship between the two. It's wild.
0: You know, our friend Happy Gilmore actually has – that same rule too. And I saw it on Twitter recently and it's really creeping in my mind. I like that rule a ton. I suffer from over trading and having that like very simple plan. It's been very helpful.
2: (laughs) I try to stick to my rules and you do as much as you can to abide by them. But if you don't have the, the protocols in place and like the mindset to latch onto that uh, this is my rule, I'm gonna stick to it to be able to remind yourself. And that's when you go from having maybe a negative hundred dollar day to being down two fifty. And I know like people can win more than they lose, but those losses still stick with people more often. So I try to mitigate that and I preach it to my my students in the Discord and I tell my kids on the fencing team, you get
0: two
4: mistakes and you're done. That's it.
0: Amazing. Irrational exuberance.
4: When it comes to killer wine at drastically low prices, 30 to 70% off retail and free shipping. We live for that here at Last Bottle Wines. Whether you went long or short on GameStop, you'll need a glass of something terrifically tasty. And we've got the goods. Last Bottle is a daily wine site based in Napa, California. One wine every day at Black Swan event prices, usually 30 to 70% off until poof, it's gone. Whether you're a pound-the-table type, think ultra-crisp, quaffable Sauvignon Blanc, or a dividend aristocrat, Burgundy, or Napa Cab, there simply is no better place to buy wine on the web. And they always have free shipping. Last Bottle has a deal just for Penny Lane listeners. Use promo code PENNY, that's P-E-N-N-Y, to save 10% off your next order with Last Bottle. The code is good for one order and one order only, and it expires March 11, 2022. So head over to LastBottleWines.com today. That's LastBottleWines.com.
0: Justin
3: yeah, I would like to hear uh, from you ten on what your normal approach to trading is. We've talked recently about how people are changing you know from from swing trading, which a lot of people feel comfortable with to now uh, trading options and probably large cap options. Mm-hmm. Are you in that same boat or are you doing something completely different? So I primarily
2: um trade large-cap options. Uh, This year alone, since the new year started, the only trades I've made have been on Microsoft, NVIDIA, the indexes, and I traded Roku and Netflix once each. But primarily, it's been on those large-cap tech stocks. And uh, I think out of my 20 or 23 trades I've taken this year, it's been mostly short. And the reason I'm short on a lot of the positions I take is because of... And this is... Part of the message that I'm trying to get out there that it's not always going to be that if the stock goes over this certain level, it's going to continue. A lot of the way the market is right now, and especially since um, last summer ended, the interest rate and the macro conditions are dictating a lot of the sentiment in the market. So if people aren't and traders aren't understanding what's really going on. In the macro environment, you're going to get screwed over because you're like being a perma bull doesn't work, Mm -hmm. just like being a perma bear doesn't work. You need to be able to adapt to the conditions that we're in. And right now, the conditions are saying tech is taking a beating because of the uncertainty with the Fed and the uncertainty over interest rates. So there's, and we saw it today and the last. 10 trading days that there's a lot of up and down action because Mm -hmm. no one really knows what's going to happen. No one knows when um, the rates are going to actually be hiked up. There's estimates and there's data coming out, but no one really knows for sure. So that's why we're seeing a lot of up and down. And it's one of those things that we don't like the small cap market. I, when I first started the whole 10% project, I was trading stocks like SoFi and Express, but There just isn't the overall market for right now. So I've been primarily based in the large cap tech sector.
3: Real quick, before we go into kind of like where the market is right now Mm -hmm. and and 10%, which you started, you said something really, really interesting. We got to go back all the way to the beginning because we have talked so much, uh, well, with folks and amongst ourselves, Blaine and I have, about you trade what the market gives you. You are you may wake up in the morning and and you've got a watch list and people are searching through watch lists and they're looking for different indicators, a lot of volume, overnight movers, whatever their indicators are. And you've got these long watch lists and people post their watch lists and we discuss these watch lists. And then you come in here and say, I just have traded the the five same names a certain direction through the course of the beginning of the year. And so you're not, you're not doing anything like that, right? You just you you've picked your lane, and you just wake up and you're like, "That's my lane. I'm going to stay in it, and I'm going to find a way to make money in this lane." Is that is that kind of accurate? Or am I, I actually think
0: it? I have something somewhat intelligent to say about options that I want to follow up to that question. And ten, if you have not listened to the full arc of the podcast, I started in small caps, and I'm in the process of transitioning in. Two options, mm-hmm. and I am like just getting to the point where I feel somewhat confident in asking a few questions. Yeah. And so I want to know if you picked those stocks because the overall, like, look, li- liquidity of the contracts is good on those stocks. Like, I have. I'm just learning that there are only like kind of one basket full of stocks that are really good for day trading options.
2: Yeah. So I do put out um, a sentiment and technical based watch list nightly. Um, And I do that because I see a lot of traders who put out um, like trigger levels. And if it goes over this, then buy this. If it goes under this, then buy this. I have a system where I do do that, but I also put out that sentiment based watch list, which my permanent watch list overall is about 60 stocks. But for the most part, I'm sticking to that small basket, like Blaine, like you were saying, where it's like NVIDIA, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Tesla. You don't want to be in less liquid stocks because Usually when they're less liquid, the spreads are going to be a lot bigger. So you could possibly be buying in the middle of the spread and get filled.
5: Mm-hmm. But when
2: you're, when you're trying to get out, the, the seller that was giving you that contract, mm-hmm. there, might not, there might not be that buyer higher than that. So even if you want to get out, even if the stock isn't moving, you're going to have to sell lower because there just isn't enough liquidity to move, to move the share price itself or to move the underlying contract with it
0: it's really fascinating to me and it I'm something I like continue to discover like this morning I really like the stock 6 6 flags and I mm-hmm. traded it some when I was trading commons like I thought it it just traded fairly nicely and then I was looking at the chart this morning and I was like oh this would be good like I thought to trade options on and then I asked a friend and they were like no because it's too spread like it's just not a good stock for options, and that sort of blew my mind a little bit. Of like, okay, so you, what do you carve out? Like ninety five percent of the market, and you just focus on a tiny percentage of it. Is that true?
2: So, for me, and the way the most successful trades I've had, and I'm not defining success as the most money, but because I'm, tra- I'm trading stock, uh, options that can be anywhere from $1.50 on stuff like Apple and Microsoft all the way up to 6 $7 per contract on Roku or Netflix. But you want that liquidity, that way you can get out if you need to get out. Because something like, I've never traded Six Flags, and I honestly didn't even know they had shares. <laughs> <laughs> um, but stuff like that where it's a little less liquid Um, those are going to definitely be better for swing trades when the the markets are right because you're not going to be able to, one, you're not going to be able to buy size on them. But two, it's that escapability factor that if it's there's no one, you don't know who's on the bid or who's on the ask at any given time. So if there's no one there willing to buy it when you want to sell it, you're going to have to take the loss just inherently because you want to get out when you want to get out. So I, I really do carve out about like I have sixty stocks, about sixty-two stocks on my watch list, um, but for the most part, I'm only trading the largest cap tech stocks like Microsoft and Nvidia because you can check the volume or an open interest on any given day, and it's always over 15,000 contracts. So there's always that liquidity to get in and out when you want to.
0: Fascinating. And then I want to also ask about these trigger levels.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. I am really struggling with trading that strategy, which I was talking to Shark actually about like, I am just not really understanding the trigger levels or else it doesn't work for my personality or Mm -hmm. something. I'm really struggling with that. But I'm having a lot of success trading just kind of like, The way that I traded small caps, which is sort of just like buying on trend lines or EMAs and like just waiting for a while and staying in the trend or whatever, like that is working a lot better for me, but it seems so popular right now to trade the like trigger style way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm new. Has the trigger style like always been very popular or is it gaining momentum?
2: Uh, In my opinion, it's 100% gaining momentum. And I think a lot of it is very much social media based. Um, I I set levels and pivot points on my charts based off of supply and demand and support and resistance. But I very much am a sentiment based trader that if we're seeing interest rates go up, inherently just based off the economic conditions that that implies, we're probably going to see tech stocks move down. So like that helps shift my focus and my direction and where I want to go and how to judge, is the market strong or is the market weak? So having that sentiment behind it, and then having those points where like my biggest trade of the year so far has been Microsoft and it was. um it was last week, I think on Wednesday where it broke uh, it broke a support level, which also corresponded to the very bottom of a demand zone. So when you see multiple factors like that come into play you you have the macroeconomic conditions, you have a support breaking and you have a demand zone breaking, it's shifting it in your favor that you know that this is the direction you want to go. I do primarily trade. Based off of um intraday levels. I don't wait for my triggers to hit. I just set those to know that this is a key level at a support or resistance. But I'm not always waiting for those levels to break because when if you're waiting for those levels to break, you could be missing the entire trade. And then you're getting you're getting screwed over because people are waiting for that level to hit for to crush you with selling options or selling the shares to push it back down.
0: Mm-hmm. I've had the levels drawn and I guess I am just not waiting enough. Like anytime I try to do it, perhaps I'm not waiting for enough confirmation. Like I'll wait for like a five minute candle to close over the level, but maybe I'm not waiting for like a 15 minute candle or whatever. And I just keep getting stuck in a zone where like, it's, it's not fully breaking the top level. It's not fully breaking the bottom level. And then Mm -hmm. I'm just getting like, topped up. And I'm like, I wish I didn't have these freaking levels because like <laughs> if I'm just trading the way that I wanted to trade, I wouldn't buying at a level almost feels like chasing to me. And then I'm like all in my head about the whole thing. Anyway, I've gotten really far down my own thoughts on it, but I do, I do find that topic interesting.
2: I actually completely agree with what you just said. When you're waiting and waiting and waiting for something to hit. And then, like say you're looking for it to break of resistance, and you see one candle close over it and then the next candle close under it by you waiting for it that to happen, you miss the entire move up to that level Whereas if, right. you, were just, if you were just trading based off of what the stock is actually doing, and like before those levels are hit, that's why like I give out my like points of interest like i don't I really don't like calling my levels, key levels or trigger levels or anything like that, they're really just points of interest to me that if we see momentum go up or down through these specific spots, then it would be an interesting trade because it's going to either exit demand and crater down, or it's exiting supply and it's going to move up. So. Trigger levels to say, oh, it broke 300, go long. It To me, that's completely silly because mm-hmm. what's actually happening with the stock? What are the conditions that we're in? Like, I'm looking at the Microsoft chart now and there were multiple times where based off of a lot of factors that it broke over certain levels. But if you held too long, you would have gotten like you would have went long, held for a bigger move, and then you would have got crushed because it just, there was just no strength in the market at all today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: I've listened to some of the podcasts and it really comes down to experience and feel of the market. The more you do it, the more you feel like, oh, this actually looks strong. I'm going to take my trade here because based on the personality of this stock and based on my just understanding of how this moves and what these levels mean, then you know what to do. It's not always just if it breaks, then buy. That To me, that's it's just silly.
0: I've also have so much experience trading small caps, too, that it, like, I want to not have that 18 months that I traded small caps. I don't want that experience to be lost either. Mm -hmm. So I am trying, I don't, you know, it's very, to go back to the fencing, trading is so similar in that, like, for one match, I guess there's, infinite possibilities of how to get from the start to the end of that match, just like exactly like trading. And you can't do it exactly like somebody else, which Mm -hmm. is magical and wonderful and makes me so incredibly fascinated by the market, but also a little bit frustrating because how easy would it be if you could just do it exactly like somebody else and it could be successful?
2: No, you know, I, yeah, I <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not wrong and the reason I was I traded small caps and that's uh last year when January in January and February when everything was exploding, I was a part of that and I made a good amount of money and that's what was that's what fed me into the large cap sector honestly was because I know that just the history of the market, there's always that rotation during the summer uh where large caps usually take off. So I made my money in January with options trading in small caps. And then I shifted over to large caps with that. Um, but like you're saying, you you can't trade based off of someone else's style because every day is going to give you something different where if you're not implementing your own rules and your own strategies, you're, you're going to be lost in the mix because you don't know what you're looking at based off of someone else.
0: For sure. I'm just the type of trader that likes to get very intimately familiar with a stock. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I, right now, I just looked back at all my uh, buys and sells on Lucid over the past year, and it, like, there's so much green and red on the chart that you can't even, like, see the chart, only because I just like that stock, and I know it really well. And that, I find a lot of comfort in that, whereas small small caps, it's, like, a different like load of crap every morning and you just trade what's what's running that day and mm-hmm. it makes me feel shaky.
2: So I I actually liked the fact that like a lot of the options trading and a lot of the way I started was based off of small caps because small caps are good until they're not like they're trading them is great until you see that 1 million share sell candle where everyone gets screwed over. Right. But for the most part, with large caps, you don't have to worry about someone putting in an outsized sell order that's going to completely kill momentum. There's always going – and that's kind of like we were talking about before where there's always going to be that liquidity up and down. So if you don't have to – like that's another thing that that you just don't have to worry about. So having – like I don't trade small caps anymore but having that experience and seeing firsthand like, oh, there's one person out there that they can crush the momentum on a stock completely and not having that worrisome factor with large caps has made it a much easier transition. And also um, (laughs) props to you for being able to trade Elcid because for the life of me, I cannot.
0: (laughs) I'm just like obsessed with it. I don't know. I bought puts on Microsoft the other day and the trade took like three hours and I was finally green on it. But I wanted to pull my teeth out. I was like, I just, I can't, I can't wait this long. Like, <laughs> I just, like, I got so frustrated on Microsoft. And then I was like, I can't, this is not a stock that works for me. And I like, I was like, I will never trade it again. Well, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm sure I will, but it just, it, I didn't vibe. I didn't vibe very well mm-hmm. with it. But, you know, Lucid, I also traded DWAP today calls like those lucid and D-WAC trade like a penny stock they squeeze well they like they just trade in a way that i'm used to trading they trade quickly they all of those things that make me feel kind of comfortable mm-hmm. they make other people like terrified so you know
2: <laughs> yeah for just, me for me i would be terrified of trading D-WAC or lcd or like even like i said like i trade some of the biggest tech names. I 100% stay away from AMD. Like that to me is the number one devil stock in the entire market. (laughs) I stay away from it. It, AMD and I just don't get along. I refuse to trade it. It could be telling me that it's going to be going up 10% in the next day and I still will refuse to trade it just because I, I just don't vibe with it. Like you said, I just don't vibe with it. I don't get along. Every time I think I know or I'm reading the chart right, it just goes against me. So getting that feel for how you trade and what you trade and what works is all a part of the game.
0: For sure. I can't trade NVIDIA. I, that's not even, that's my like, I won't even try. I mean, Microsoft, I'll probably try again. But, but just like, I go into the chart on NVIDIA and I'm like, I got to get out of here. I can't. Ugh. And people love NVIDIA. It's like people's favorite stocks. I mean, you're saying it's one of your favorite stocks.
2: If I it, honestly, it is. If I had to pick one, <laughs> that was my favorite <laughs> stock for the for the last couple weeks. It's one hundred percent Nvidia. For, for me, like Nvidia, and just the way everything's been, it's it's like a book. Like it's telling you exactly what it's going to do what, before it even does it. So I am very much in a fan. of But it's also one of those things too. Like I just said, I hate AMD, but I love Nvidia. So same sector, but two completely different personalities. It's. All comes down to that feel again. it's I can't get a read on a m d but I love Nvidia
0: so interesting and so so telling about the human aspect of trading like that's why we're not computers, right like mm-hmm. it's a you know you get to judge, you get to have a vibe or a feel or intuition or whatever. I love that about trading too. <laughs> You can tell that I did well today. Like for those of you who listen to the podcast a lot, I think it's super obvious when I've had a green day or a red day and today I was green. So I'm like super happy. I'm all in love with trading. You know, We'll see what happens next. podcast. <laughs> Hi, guys. We have a new sponsor this week called Help You Find Me. I'm super excited about this sponsor because I reached out to them because I'm a true crime junkie. Basically, it's an encrypted online folder where you can put, you know, your health records, your dental records, all your passwords to your bank accounts, your travel plans, and then you can send an encrypted link to your loved ones so that if anything ever happens to you, all your information is one in one secure encrypted place. So initially, I was very excited about this because of the uh, true crime tie-in, because I'm just a huge fan. But the more I started thinking about it, I thought more about like, what if you have a million dollars in crypto and you die and no one has your encryption code? This is like a perfect place to store that stuff. It was initially created because the founder wanted to share his travel plans with his loved ones. Blurb example. Here we go. 24 hours. These are the most critical moments to find you in the event of an emergency or worse. Waiting for the legal process to assess your important history or information can take weeks. With Help You Find Me, you have your own secure and encrypted digital if-I-go-missing file that can give your most trusted people access to vital information much sooner than the authorities. Each person you share with has its own access rules and everything is completely encrypted. Not even Help You Find Me can access it. This puts you in total control of your data. You can also update your location, submit photos and screenshots, i.e. of your Uber ride, and post random information or notes on the go. It's as easy as texting with a friend. So go to the link in the show notes and you can get a 20% discount using the coupon code PennyLane. Guys, I think this is very valuable and I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. Justin, are you, are you with us?
3: I am, but you know, it's rude to hop in when two people are just, you know, bantering back and forth and they've just found a groove and then you just you don't throw yourself in the middle.
0: You just well, don't do Well, I that. bogarted that conversation, and I'm so sorry. You had a great question, and I just took the reins. Well,
3: that's the whole point. So <laughs> I do, I do want to ask – well, let's, let's go back a little bit here. So you were talking about NVIDIA, and you were talking about AMD. And I don't want to just jump ahead to the end. But since we're already on the topic, Blaine, I think it would be fair to ask 10 if there was one stock – that described him perfectly. What stock would it be? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, still your Thunderblade.
0: No, no, it was the perfect setup for it.
3: We were talking so much about Nvidia. You, you had such a passion for it. You love it. I mean, it just seemed like maybe it was Nvidia, but maybe it's not. I
2: think honestly, if I had to pick one, it would probably be Microsoft, just because. Me as a person, my personality, it's very much, you get what you get. Like, you know exactly what it is. There's no underlying details that you have to look into. Like when someone says Microsoft, you know exactly what it is. Uh, the way it trades, uh, it's very much like me. Like I'm going to have my hot days and I'm going to have my cold days. But overall, you know that this is a staple. Um, and I'm not talking about me as a trader. I'm talking about me as my personality. I would say 100% Microsoft, just because it is what it is. You know what you're getting. I'm not going to BS you. I'm not going to fluff things up to try to get a little more out of you. I'm not going to sandbag you to make it worse than it is. But I am what I am. I give you what what I am, and I'm not hiding anything. I like that.
3: Blaine?
0: Love it. Love it. Great description.
3: So with 10, you know what you're going to get. So is the 10% project just as straightforward? Yes.
2: And I think there is a little bit of misconception behind it and I have adjusted it just because of the risk management aspect of it. When I first started it, I truly did start with $500 and I truly have taken it to where I've taken it. Um, It's just as I've grown the account that I'm trading with based off the project, I didn't want to be putting $25,000, $30,000, $40,000 into every trade because I don't have the trading account that trading with that to substantiate that risk that if I lose 10%, 15% on a trade because I took a bad entry or whatever it is, I I don't want to be losing $10,000 or $5,000 on every trade. So now the goal with it is 10% a day based on the trades. But I've also readjusted my mindset that I don't need to hit those levels. It's just really the the practice of being comfortable starting to scale out at 10%. So, for the most part, there are days where my trades will all be over 20%, but then there are days where I have one 20% win and one 5% loss and one or two 5% wins. And it's just focusing the mindset and being comfortable taking smaller gains to compound than hoping for more. And losing more at the same time.
3: So I think I'm following it. Blaine, does that does it make sense to you now? So it's not. The
0: origins were what that you put ten percent of your portfolio in every trade. What? How would you start?
3: So I started
2: the whole project back at the end of July of last year, and my goal with it originally was that I was going to take five hundred dollars, and after ninety five trades, turn that into one million. Um, I started with, I was 43 for 46. Um, I lost three trades out of the 46 between July and I believe it was the end of October. Um, And then as the account grew and I was putting more and more into every trade, I realized it's kind of counterintuitive to what the mindset of being comfortable with taking 10% is because yeah, putting $20,000 into a trade, yes, it could net you a lot of money, but the risk isn't worth the outcome. So I started scaling that down that instead of putting 80 to 100% of the account into every trade, I scaled it down to where every trade I take, my goal is to start scaling out at 10% and to net 10% on every
3: trade. It makes it makes so, so much more sense when you're talking risk to reward ratio. I think mm-hmm. it you like you, you have to bring that into account when you're coming up with your plays, right? And I think you can have kind of that idealistic goal of of ten percent on the account, but it makes it just makes a lot more sense for a risk reward. I mean I'm going to guess that you're doing this with with all options playing, right?
2: Yeah. So this is strictly yeah. options, right? Um, when I first started, it, it was on penny, literally penny options. It was. Six cent contracts on Express or twenty-two cent contracts on SoFi, and then as I've grown with it, I started. That's like again, it's ten percent scales. It's I scaled up ten percent to where I'm trading a dollar fifty contracts on Apple, and then I started getting more comfortable with trading Nvidia and where those contracts on a Monday or Tuesday with weeklies could be anywhere from five dollars to eight dollars. So it's just a matter of like as you get more comfortable and this really ties into what my message and my whole my thing is is i want people to be comfortable scaling out and growing consistently instead of trying to take one trade 10000% and become an overnight millionaire because there are more 10% trades in the market than there are 10000% trades so if you can find a 10% trade every day you're going you're likely going to sustain success more than you would hoping for a home run every single time.
3: Yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. I do have a technical question though. So when you started out with some of these penny contracts,
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, of course that makes sense when the account is smaller. Um, you now only focus on large cap, and, and 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 in that actually just a couple. But is there a reason that you pivoted? Is it strictly due to the volume um, when it comes to open interest on some of those small penny contracts, or is it? Uh, was it more of a strategic change in terms of understanding strategy uh, with the actual tickers themselves? So
2: a, a little bit of both. It was the fact that when I started this, a lot of the speculative growth stocks like Sofi and uh, Express those were still kind of in in trend. Like we still saw a lot of growth with AMC. AMC went to what, $72 back in June. So there was still that momentum behind a lot of those smaller names. But with like my education and my background, I knew that the macro conditions just didn't fit. So I wanted to position myself with the growth of the account and the stocks that I could afford or the the options that I could afford to trade. I wanted to position myself better that I'm not trying to get 200 contracts or 500 contracts on a $5 or or $0.05 or $0.10 contract or options, I wanted to be able to still allocate the same amount of capital without having to... Because I trade with commissions. I trade on thinkorswim, so I'm still paying $0.45 a contract. So having... A 1% or 10% um, bite into each trade, just paying commissions on 200 contracts was taking out of the gains that I would see. So it just didn't fit the risk profile that I was trying to attain, which is why I have steered towards those tech stocks. Because as I grew, the scalability and the affordability started fitting my profile more.
3: That makes sense. So where are we now then? So you said you went forty-three out of forty-six that went your way, Mm -hmm. but that is that was a couple months back. So did you reset and restart? And if so, where are you now?
2: The trading account right now is just under 55k. Okay. So every trade, and I know a lot of people ask, well, isn't if you if you made 10% on 95 straight trades, don't you only need 70 to get there? So what I'm doing also to kind of because I'm I'm getting married. Uh, In October, I have...
0: Congratulations.
2: Thank you. So I still have expenses that I need to take care of. So with every trade as I grow, um, I'm taking 20% out of the profits from every trade as income for myself. And then I'm reinvesting the rest into the next trade. And that was what I was doing for those first 46 trades. Uh, But now I'm, I'm usually allocating anywhere between... Two and 4,000
3: per trade. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. So where are you though in terms of the trade um, number? Are, are you still looking to hit that 70 number mark or are you still, is this just kind of an indefinite plan and, and just the method for which you trade?
2: So I've really have changed it from the, I'm going to take 95 trades to yeah. get to a million just yeah. because me as a person i i'm i know it sounds very ridiculous to say as an options trader, but i'm very risk averse so <laughs> yeah. I, I i in You're no just like way
3: leverage <laughs>
2: <laughs> i i in no way shape or form am comfortable with putting thirty thousand dollars into a trade. i haven't gotten to that point where I can afford to lose that and i don't uh-huh. want to lose that so i have moved down, and now the goal is, and of it is yes, I still want to get to that million dollars to say that the ten percent mindset and the ten percent goal of starting to scale out your trades at ten percent works, and you can compound based off of that without being greedy and trying to inch for more. It works incrementally, it works better than taking ninety five straight trades allocating a hundred percent of your account. Into every trade to get to a million if that's just completely and I realized this i had a, I had a very ambitious goal with it, but doing it it's just there's no risk management in that, and anyone that can do it, I commend you, but to me, just the risk wasn't there for me to continue using eighty to one hundred percent per trade
3: got it I'm yeah. on board, I like it a lot
2: I know i probably get some heat for saying, oh, you're only taking gains at 10%. The premise of it is not to exit a position completely at 10%. But if you hit 10% on a trade, there's no reason why you should not at least exit at 10%. So I always cut, if, I, if I'm if i in a, a trade for eight contracts, I will always scale out anywhere between 25 and 50% of the trade at that 10% just to make sure I secure some gains and that I have a little bit of movement down to give myself a little bit of a a breather in case it does dip a little bit, that you're not going negative. And at at minimum, you can still get that 10%.
3: So this is going to bring the conversation full circle. I don't even know if we were recording or not, but we were talking about Blaine and something she put on Twitter about having a a day where she made a couple of coins and somebody said, that's such a small amount of money. Are you are you kidding me? It's like you you made money. And it doesn't matter how much it is. Like if you take wins, that is legitimately why you trade. You trade to make money. Could you have always made more? Sure. But like, Saying that you should make more than ten percent is just a farce. Like if you do, great, and if you don't, you just protected your gains. I, if you sat there and counted how much money you should have made in your life by investing in this, or like we would just never get out of bed in the morning. So I just <laughs> full circle. It's like anyone so who doesn't G- protect what they won, you, you, like there is no, there is, there is no negative to that whatsoever.
0: Agreed, and I think especially in this market. Like the name of the gain should not be make as much as possible. It should be like lose as little as possible. It's, like it, it's just it's, a hard market to trade right now.
3: <laughs> it's capital
2: protection first and foremost in any given market. You never want to lose more than you started with. Of course, there's going to be days where that happens. But to say, oh, I could have gotten an extra 5% on this trade. Okay, you might have gotten 5%, but the downside could have
5: been 20. Right. Mm -hmm. so it,
4: it
2: kind of also backtracks into what we were talking about in terms of like not trading off those trigger levels and understanding where the stock is moving at that very moment is it still trending up is it still trending down if i have an entry and it could be a bad entry it could be the best entry but if i'm at 10%, 15% and I start seeing the stock itself kind of oscillate back and forth and the options aren't still moving, me as a person, I want to just limit myself. So in that instance, I'll probably sell five to eight of them just to get out because I want to minimize my downside. Uh But if I'm, I'm in say calls on a stock and I see a big green candle followed by a big green candle on those I'll exit half or 30% as it's going up and hold for a little bit. But as Mm -hmm. soon as it, as soon as I see any sort of resistance is when I get out. Okay. I've trained myself with this whole project that I don't want to hold for more. I want to take what I'm given when I'm given it and live to see another day because Justin, like you said, like, yeah, you might. It might be pennies today, but tomorrow and the next day, and a year from now, by compounding those little gains, those pennies turn into thousands of dollars at a time. Yep.
0: I want to know what candle you're using, like what time frame candle, and then I also want to know how long you're typically in a trade.
2: So, when I'm preparing the night before, um, I set my ranges on my expected moves and my anticipated moves up and down based on the daily, the four-hour, and the one-hour. So the daily I use to set um, and kind of gauge where is it trending and are there any patterns that it might continue down or it might reverse up. And then from there I work backwards that the four-hour I use to confirm or adjust any patterns I see on the daily And then from there, I use the one hour to really hone in and see what are the most important levels to trade off of, whether it be a wick up, a wick down, if there was a big red candle that broke demand, I'll set those as my parameters. And then intraday when I'm trading, I 100%, I will trade off of this for the rest of my trading career. I trade off of the three-minute chart.
0: Okay. And the, and okay. Three- <laughs> I've we've heard so much about this. Okay, the three-minute chart.
2: I I like the three-minute timeframe and the three-minute chart because to me and what I've seen is that five minutes is too long because you might miss a reversal candle that happens, and then the five minute still takes time to to show that. But the one minute is too much noise that you might get spooked, even though it's going to continue up or down. So the three minute to me has been that like perfect median where. You're able to see enough, but you're not seeing too much.
0: Oh my gosh. I might have to try this. We've just been, I've been getting so many signals from the universe. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so so I,
2: I still do think because a lot of traders trade on the five minute and a lot of people like I, I, yeah. if I'm unsure of what I'm seeing and I, I have any sort of hesitation, I will change quickly to the five minute to see if there's something I'm not seeing but mm-hmm. when I'm looking for an entry and an exit, it's always on the three minute.
0: Fascinating. So, and then did you say how long you're usually in a trade?
2: I like trading anywhere between five and 25 minutes after the open, because that's when the most volatility is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And when those entries are correct, I can be in a trade for six to 10 minutes and get 10, 15, 20%. Um on average, on average, I would say it's probably been anywhere between twenty five and thirty minutes per trade.
0: Cool. Wow. Cool.
3: That's quick, Blaine. What do you feel like you're at now?
0: Um, maybe 25. an hour.
3: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're still doing what you're calling day swinging? Is that what you're calling it? Intraday
2: swinging? intraday
0: swings. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like a longer I like a longer trade.
3: Yeah.
2: Wait. So, Blaine, when you take a trade, are you taking weeklies, or you have a little more time when you?
0: Just, just the weeklies. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yep. You know, I just am nothing if not just like high risk tolerance. Yeah.
3: Is there all right? This is perfect. Ten. Tell her why she shouldn't just take weeklies.
2: I wish I could, but for the most part, I do only trade weeklies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I oh, just we have a bunch really, of gambling degenerates on this podcast. I just had a really long conversation with Rodessa because um, he's coming on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And he told me, I I freaking had to write it down. And I rarely write during the podcast because I like to be in the moment. But he told me that his mentor told him not to trade weeklies after Tuesday. Oh shoot, today's Wednesday and I still did it. Man, I was all like, I'm gonna do that. And then I forgot. Um. I
2: So I that's one thing that I do. Like as the week goes on, I definitely scale down. Like I'm not taking 40 cent contracts on something that's five, ten percent of the money because those are just gonna the way they move, if you're not in the right trend at the time, yeah, you're gonna lose all your money. So as the week goes on, you definitely wanna scale down, but no on on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays even I'm still trading, still trading weeklies close to the money.
0: And then, so, are you choosing are the are you choosing contracts that are are like you just said that are close to at the money usually?
2: Yeah. So if like with Nvidia it closed almost at 280 today for me, I'm not go I I go one or two strikes away from in the money as possible.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: and because the likelihood, like the whole options price equation, it's all based on the likelihood and probability that it become it goes in the money. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be buying, especially on a Wednesday or Thursday, I don't want to be buying an option contract that's 5% out of the money because the likelihood that that's going to hit is like, yes, you, if it hits, yes, you might get that. 1,000% gainer, but that's, that's not my goal. That's not my mission. So I'm much more comfortable going one or two strikes out of the money based on those ranges from the one hour and four hour timeframes.
0: Cool.
3: All right, Blaine. So what else do you want to know? Because I feel like this is perfect for you where you are with your, not recent, but somewhat recent Dive into options trading.
0: Yeah, no, I've I've learned a lot. I just buy the same contract every time, like in the same where it is, like in the or which is basically just at the money. I never look to see like if I want one or the other. Just I just that's just what I do because it's the simplest. Maybe that's dumb. Is that dumb? No. Okay.
2: It's (laughs) so it's not dumb. It's the reason I go one or two strikes out of the money is because. As it gets closer, the spike in premium is going to be greater. So those quick jumps, those quick 10-20% jumps are going to happen if you buy it as it's trending towards that strike. Mm-hmm. But if you're playing at the money, then it's, those jumps might not happen as significantly, but the risk is also minimized.
0: Okay, great. Love that. Love to play in a high-risk environment with low risk. (laughs) (laughs) So I know
3: we're getting close to being dumb, but I I have a dumb question I have to ask. So are either of you using options charts for trading? Or we've talked a lot about charts, but are you using the options charts for trading? Or are you just using uh, the standard ticker chart? Uh,
2: For me, so I've gone back and forth with it. I do think the options flow in the market does dictate the trend and trajectory of a stock on any given day. Okay. But there's also times where it could just be completely misleading. So it's just an, like I have used it and I haven't used it. And there are times where it's using it has worked, but then there are also times where using it has gone against me. So it's one of those other like factors and I don't, you can't really call it an indicator, but indicators that like it's just more noise. So I kind of I started really tuning it out just because you don't know what you're seeing. It could be sold calls or bought puts. and
3: So you don't
0: – yeah. I, I I
3: don't use it. Got it. Got it. I don't when, like it. Okay. I look
0: at it, but I don't like it. Fair
3: enough. That was yeah. so – it was a dumb question, but a simple answer. So.
0: No, I, no, it wasn't. I
3: feel like that was a
2: good question because <laughs> I feel like a lot of people don't – like when I started trading overall, I didn't even know TOS had – options charts yeah and it took me forever to find them and i mean yet they are just like every other chart but no i feel like it could just be more noise that confuses people so if you're good at it and it's something that works do it but if not i I think having the stock chart up is is more than enough yeah
3: yeah
2: okay wait wait, justin do you use it
3: no, i don't um I don't trade that that many options, but when I do, I'm not looking at at an options chart hardly okay. ever, and I feel like I should because I feel like um you know i've been it's not arbitrage it's just like i have I have definitely bought options contracts that were severely mispriced because I was not paying attention to the influx of volume mm-hmm. and like Blaine's talked about before, like then she just loses money in the like it, it within 2 seconds right right
0: you buy it you're red and
3: and yeah. if you were paying attention to the options chart i think that you would have enough context and understanding to see like this is currently mispriced it's seen a pop in volume and and without that you you really have to pay attention and I don't pay attention. And that sounds like Blaine doesn't always pay attention. So <laughs> I think that there's definitely great value to it. But also, it's the same concept to me as like, how many different overlays and indicators do you have on your um, on your charts, right? Like, you can have 50. And what does that do, right? It doesn't do anything. So I think it's the same thing. It's like, if you've got all this data and information, I, and you can't sift through it properly, then you might as well just simplify it. So I, I don't use it either. Um, but I do – I can see many times when like if you're, if you're catching a runner and so something's hot and you're trying to hop in. I mean trying to understand if it's severely mispriced, you, you could really find some value in it. Absolutely. But like you just said, like the
2: indicators. Like for me, uh, on my desktop charts, the only things I have on it – and it's not even on the chart itself. It's underneath is MACD and RSI. I don't, tra- I don't trade – so I have it on my phone where I use VWAP, but I don't have all the EMAs. I don't have uh, Bollinger Bands or anything. I try to cut out as much noise as possible that works for me because it those are just going to be reasons that you either hop into a trade or don't hop into a trade. And it, it's going to cost you money based on information that might be lagging behind what's actually happening.
3: Yeah. So mobile trader, Blaine, near and dear to your heart.
0: (laughs) Back to my roots.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, very cool.
0: Okay. Last question. You're talking a lot about your discord. What's your discord?
2: So my discord is the 10% elite. Um, It's I post my uh, trade ideas and why I'm looking at a certain stock for the next day. Um, It's general chat. Uh, I do live trade in there sometimes. Um, But for the most part, it is a lot of sentiment-based and mentality shifting ideas. Uh, And it really just goes back down to being okay with taking 10%. So when you do get that 50 to 100% runner, you're more than happy to see that.
0: Love it. Love it, And um, people can find your discord in your Twitter profile.
2: Correct. Uh, I have it's linked through Patreon. I have my Patreon link in my Twitter bio.
0: Cool.: Well, we will, we'll link all of that in the show notes, and this was just delightful. I learned so much, and it was a great conversation. I hope you'll come back and hang with us again if we get to keep doing the podcast.
2: Absolutely. This was more than fun. I had no idea what to expect. Um, <laughs> I've lis- I listened to a bunch of the podcasts before, but this is my first one. So I was a little bit nervous, but you guys are doing such a great, great thing for Fintwit and the trading space in general. So I really appreciate you guys bringing me on.
0: Aw, thank you. What What was your favorite podcast you listened to?
2: I liked listening to the uh, coach and Adam Sliver won, just so because... Snow
0: guide. so won- guide.
2: Having those two guys on, I respect what they're doing very much, and just seeing what they're doing and how they're doing it for people who want to learn and take this up and try to get to a point where they can sustain. Seeing what they're doing and just hearing... Like, I saw I've followed them on Twitter. Hearing the voices behind the images and seeing the mindset in general, it's... It's really positive for the the complete community.
0: For sure, they're impressive guys. Yep. Yep. Very much. Agreed. Well, so are you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate
2: that. Thank you. Good segue. Of course.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. All right, guys, time to talk about last bottle wine. I went on the website today and read the description for the bottle of the day and I just, I had to read it to you. It's so good. Their marketing team just does such a good job. The bottles are so discounted. It's so easy to buy them. The app is fun. I mean, if we're not all on it, I don't even know what to tell you. It's cool. All right, here's the description. When was the last time you drove off the edge of the Grand Canyon only to land in a valley full of currants, blueberry, mulberry, mulberry? Boysenberry, snozenberry, and cloudberries. It's a dream, of course, but that's why we thought about this on tasting this 97-point bottle of Italian dream magic. Killer stuff, killer price, warm and soul-satisfying. Please, please, someone order a sausage and mushroom pizza right now. Buy the wine, use the app. It's all fun, it's all good. Thanks, Penny Lane Potties. Thank you so much to our producer Joel Edwards and Chesley Lowe for the banjo music.
5: By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that The Penny Lane Podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional or financial advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Penny Lane podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Penny Lane podcast. The Penny Lane podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in 3rd third- party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein.